Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us for all things evangelism. Seventh-day Adventists have an evangelistic mission. We are called by God to preach the everlasting gospel and to prepare people for the soon return of Jesus Christ. Now, many of us are never really satisfied with the results that we see in evangelism. We, we Many times we feel the churches are not reaching the mark, not hitting their goals. We have big dreams, big plans, big visions. But at the end of the day, it just doesn't seem like the Seventh-day Adventist church, at least in the Western world, is fulfilling its God-given destiny. So I've got my friend here, Robbie Morgan, to discuss with me uh, today's subject, and that is evangelism and excuses. One of the ways that people respond to not achieving something that they set out to achieve is making an excuse as to why uh, they're not achieving what set out to achieve. And we want to talk about whether or not we as Adventists are making excuses for ourselves, whether we're taking responsibility for our work and our calling. And if we are making excuses, what are those excuses and how do we stop making excuses um, and avail ourselves of God's power so that we can become what God needs us to become? So thank you, Robbie, for joining me. No worries, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I know that uh, your time is precious and you've got a lot of things to do, but I'm happy that we can talk. And for those of you guys who don't know Robbie, he does a radio show on Faith FM. And what's that radio show called, Rob? Uh, Real Faith plays on Thursdays from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. Excellent. And it's usually, exactly time. <laughs> if, I, if I remember correctly, it's usually like an expositional, like an exposition of text. You're just going through the Bible, extracting yep. insights and lessons from the Bible. Yeah, that's it. Straight up Bible study. Unreal. Cool. Are you doing that by yourself now or do you have a co-host? Unfortunately, yes, I am doing it by myself at the moment. As it, Shell's an awesome producer helping out, but there's no co-host. But gotcha. We're making do. Yeah. What are you studying right now in the show? Uh, we're studying Moses and the Exodus. Okay. Perfect. Good. Good stuff. Right on. So Robbie, everyone, he's my local church. He's the pastor of the Coast Life uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church. It's a church plant and it's been going on for worshiping now for a year. Two years almost. Wow. Yeah, two, oh, almost two years in the public library. Yeah. Wow. And, and I usually attend church, what, once a month? Because I'm all the way, I'm always around the conference preaching. Is it usually about once a month? Once? Something like that, yeah. And a half, yeah. We'd like to come more, man, but that's how it is. Gotta <laughs> travel. It's all good. Uh, yeah. Hey, Robbie, uh, do you think the Adventist church, generally speaking, in Australia, makes excuses for why we don't get more success in evangelism? Sure. And it's not, that's not unique to Australia either. Okay. That's like an American thing too. I think so. And, and what are some of the quote excuses? Some of the excuses that come to my mind are the messages that we have are not relevant enough. We have an, a, a mental lapse here. I had this list in my head before and they've all disappeared. <laughs> you'd, you'd think being on the radio, you wouldn't have these kinds of uh, faux pas. Yeah. Not relevant enough. The people are not interested. It's just too hard in our context. People aren't spiritual. Working in a secular context makes things impossible. We're not friendly enough. We, yeah. Our methods are dated. Yeah. Our methods are dated, and that's the reason why. If we did things the right way, if we did, if we oh, use the right that's methods, if we use the right one of the methods. biggest things is about methods. That's probably the biggest excuse I hear. 
Yeah. And so the only reason why we're really not winning the masses for Jesus is because we have old-fashioned methods of doing evangelism and old-fashioned methods. They just don't work. Yeah, I hear that a lot. You know, it's funny, in regards to that contention, John the Baptist, he dressed, the Bible makes a point to say that he dressed in old-fashioned clothes, and he lived out in the wilderness. And so he lives in the wilderness, he wears old-fashioned clothes, and he eats a very strange diet that's out of the ordinary. So on three different levels, he's dated, he's out of touch, he's not in line with the culture of his time. But yet at the same time, it says in Matthew 3 that all of Jerusalem and the regions around Jerusalem came out to hear him. So obviously him using, him looking old fashioned, him eating a strange diet, him living in a weird way and having a bizarre lifestyle didn't seem to get in his way. It's funny because if you say that we don't achieve evangelistic success because we use the wrong methods, then you're basically saying God is bound by doing things a certain way. Like he can only reach people a certain way. Now, of course, there's basic principles in the Bible. There's guiding principles you can find in scripture that you should follow when you're doing outreach and mission and ministry. Totally. But within those, the parameters that those guidelines give us, there should be a lot of freedom as to how God can work. So this idea that you've used an old fashioned method, therefore you couldn't succeed. Well, well, why not? What if there was an old fashioned person? Who likes to do old-fashioned things? Could God not use them? Yeah. One of my biggest contentions when we get down to arguing about methods is, first of all, if anybody's out there and doing any method that's not contrary to any of God's principles, and they're sharing Jesus with sincere hearts, good on them, whatever the method. Like, I'd rather everybody be doing something than everybody be doing nothing, arguing about the method. The second thing is, when it comes to method, I, I just do not believe you're going to hit some silver bullet that's going to be like, oh, this is going to have a 100% success rate or an 85% success rate or a 50% success rate. I just don't, I don't believe that's true because I've never seen anybody achieve that. And I think that Jesus doesn't follow that rule. And even when you talk about, there's a quote by Ellen White, one of the founders of the Adventist church, who says in a book called Ministry of Healing, it is by Christ's method alone that we will win the people. And then she goes through that and she says, he mingled with people as one who does, uh, and sympathized with them as one who cared for their needs. I'm just doing a really bad paraphrase right now. He mingled with people. He sympathized with them. He met their needs. He won their confidence by doing those things. And then he bade them or bid them to follow him. But even when you look at Christ's method, it is not what I would call a straightforward method because everybody that he ministered to, he did it incredibly differently. The woman at the, he calls her out on adultery. That is not a method that I would choose as my first line of conversation. Right. Um, he goes and heals the, the man born blind, and he does it by spitting on some stuff and does that, wipes it on his eyes. He heals another guy by telling him to get up and walk. He heals another guy by every time he heals somebody, it almost seems he's doing it differently. So even the method within the method is not defined. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, totally. So so whenever people think, man, if we only just do it this way and they come up with a method, I just think, man, good on you. Do your method. Try it. Demonstrate to me that it works. That's fantastic. But that doesn't guarantee that the method is the method. Does that make sense? Of course it does. Yeah. I'm not talking. That's right. And, And God doesn't call. You see this in the Bible. The Bible is the source of truth. It's where we go to find out how to view reality. And in the Bible, there's different callings. For different people and they relate differently to the world around them different 
character of like the prophets are different prophets are different right they, they act differently they address people differently they always come with the word from god they call jeremiah the weeping prophet because he's just got this melancholy mess of doom for the people of god and yeah you just john the baptist jesus says that he did not socialize he did not quote eat and drink and they said he has a demon but I come and I socialize and I eat and drink with people in their fest in their festival occasions. And you say that I'm a wine bibber and a glutton. So obviously Jesus is saying I'm approaching my ministry a bit differently than John. Yeah, there's should be room for that. And to to say that the real reason, the fundamental reason why we don't get more evangelistic success is because we don't use right quote methods. I, I yeah, I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. I think. If people mean when they say we don't use the right methods, that we don't really connect with God deeply and profoundly, we really aren't being empowered by his Holy Spirit. We are just doing what we're doing out of selfish motivation. If that's what they mean by we're not using the right methods, like I'd say, okay, yeah, cool. Amen. I agree. If they're saying you're not reaching out to the world through the kind of ministry approach that I approve of, then it's, yeah, nah, that's a bit, that's a bit outlandish. That'd be like saying the Israelites, they, they, they are freed from Egypt. And then what's the method they need to use to get across the Red Sea? Okay. An old man sticks his stick in the water and then all of a sudden the sea opens. That's the method. Yeah. Here we go. (laughs) No. How, what's the method for us feeding ourselves in the wilderness? We'll just wait for food to fall from the sky. Yeah. That'll be the, how do we conquer Jericho? Yeah. You know, yeah. And I think it cuts both ways too. Like you could argue, you could argue it from a perspective of somebody who's more on the right end of the spectrum. You could argue it from somebody who's more on the left end of the spectrum. And the reality is the same. Everybody can say your method doesn't work from one side or the other, but the reality is if we're being faithful to Jesus, faithful to his message, sincere and earnest, then let's do the best we can with what we have, where we are now, and focus on what really matters. Yeah. If I, since we got onto this subject of meths and us not using the right methods being an excuse for why we don't get evangelistic success, I would say that it left me. Don't you hate when that happens? All the time. <laughs> oh, that's painful. That's so painful. That was such a good thought. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can pull it out of my hat. But, you know, yeah. Okay, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. The best ideas are born out of practical experience when it comes to ministry and evangelism. So an example of this would be, I'm working in Vancouver. I've got a friend who's working with me and we're doing lots of health outreach. It's like seeds ministry that Camilla, our health director at the conference is doing. Just a ton of community service through health ministry. And We did that alongside of just going out and advertising for our programs and projects and trying to get Bible studies from door to door, from house to house and out in the community. We had a team of 18 kids and we got massive numbers of Bible studies. So we were doing very simple. We were going out into the community every single day to promote our projects and our health ministries. And we were trying to find people to study the Bible with us. And we would probably at the height of our studies, we'd have 18 people that were studying with 225 individuals. A lot of Bible studies were going on. And I had a friend named Jeffrey who he's at a door. He's talking about health and wellness with a Japanese chef or Chinese chef. And for some reason, they just got onto like the whole subject of like health food. And Jeffrey said something about shellfish not being totally healthy or pigs. And the guy was like, man, I'm Chinese. How in the world do you think I'm not going to eat shellfish and and pigs? And Jeffrey's doing vegetarian can be really good. And then it's like, "Ah, I doubt it. And Jeffrey's like, I'll come over here and I'll cook you a vegetarian lasagna. And he gets this idea on the spur of the moment. Jeffrey's not a cook. He's not a cook. 
And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll come over and I'll cook you the best vegetarian lasagna. You'll love it. And the guy's like, all right, sure. Next Thursday. <laughs> so Jeffrey goes home and makes like 16 trial lasagnas, man. So he can nail it. And so he goes over the house. He, he gets his recipe down, his process down. And then he goes to the Chinese guy's house and he makes this amazing onion guy loves it. And he says, this is amazing. I'd love to learn more from you. And, and then Jeffrey's like, yeah. And then long story short, he gets a Bible study from this. Yeah. He like gets the guy to start studying the Bible with him and they just become buddies and they get together and this guy teaches him Chinese recipes and Jeffrey's never a cook before, man. He, he just had an opportunity where he can get a Bible study through cooking this guy some vegetarian food and he did it. And then what happened was, is he started going door to door, offering people free in-home vegetarian classes where he would come to their house and teach them how to cook healthy vegetarian food. And he would have cooked like 10 different meals in that three month period for strangers that he met at their door offering free in-home cooking classes like one-on-one -on -one. yeah now he didn't sit in some room and go like how am i going to reach the community and oh i got an idea and that would be okay if he did sit in a room but he was just out there doing stuff and he could through interacting with the community he began to see okay this might be a good way to connect with people yeah and so he started to do it so he freestyled it a bit and then he came up with this really clever, really useful idea, and it really worked for him. And so there was a trial and error kind of thing there with the method. Yeah, anyway. So, bro, back to excuses. What, what is your approach as a spiritual leader? Because you are, whether you like it or not, you're a spiritual leader. What is your approach as a spiritual leader to dealing with the attitude of excuses? Oh, man. The first thing is it's the hardest battle to, to fight with excuses is the excuses that I have as a person myself, because we always make excuses because of difficulty, I think. It's difficult. We're afraid of success. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of discomfort. We're afraid of trying and not measuring up. There's a variety of things. I think fear is one of the biggest reasons that we make excuses. And so the first battle is getting over your excuses yourself. And I think I don't know. The reality is, I think that the simplest solution to dealing with that personal excuse is to pray and then to stop praying and get out and do something. Because we often, or at least myself, spend so much time, think, strategize, and it becomes like, I can go from a position of this is helpful and valid. And then it gets to a point where I'm using this as, this is my excuse to not go out and do anything about it. Does that make sense? So the strategizing and the planning is good, but then you get to a point where you can use that as your excuse to not just get out and try the very things that you're strategizing. So point number one is you got to get out and actually do something. And I think that the reality is when you're dealing with it in a church context and you've got everybody else, you got everybody else who has their baggage, their fears, and the church is a mixed bag of all sorts of experiences. And you've also got everybody who's got their opinions, often strong opinions are loud. And just because an opinion is loud doesn't mean it's the most valid. You've got the challenge of trying to get people united to do something. Well, here's the thing. The only way to get people united to do something has less to do with the method and more to do with spiritual pursuit. Are we together praying and are we asking God for help? And are we willing to all step outside of our comfort zone, to, perhaps, to just step outside of what we're comfortable with and give it a shot? So, for example, I'll give you... Let's say you've got an evangelistic series that's running at your church. If you as a church member are not willing to invite people and try and bring people, it's doomed to failure. And then what can happen is you can say evangelism doesn't work, so we won't do it anymore. And what we wind up with is a whole church convinced that something doesn't work when nobody really tried in the first place. So, of yeah. course, it doesn't work. So you can, and by the way, pick the evangelistic series, pick the evangelistic event, like whatever, do a health program, 
do pick it, whatever. The biggest one that people struggle with, I think, is generally the spiritual stuff. But pick any spiritual thing that you would do. It might be in prophecy series. It might be getting people together to have discussions about spiritual matters. It might be an apologetics conference. Pick it on whatever end of the spectrum you want. I don't care. The reality is if you as a lay person are not willing to get out there and risk your own relationships, right? Just put some skin in the game that if it doesn't well, it might actually impact you and have the faith that God can work anyway, then it's doomed to failure in the first place. Yeah, It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, not just an excuse. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I've thought this thought. In life, there are times when we try just hard enough to fail. So that way- We don't, we don't have, have to try have again. To do it again. Yeah. So we can say, I tried that and it didn't work. But yeah, that, but, you, but, but your try was not, was not good enough to really give you a chance to yeah. succeed. You didn't even give yourself a chance to succeed because you didn't really put your heart into the effort. You didn't give it what success, you didn't give the effort that success required. And then when you didn't find success, then you concluded that this evangelism doesn't work. And then whenever somebody says evangelism doesn't work, I always think to myself, what do you mean by that? So the gift of evangelism is a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit gives. So are you saying that the Holy Spirit has decided to no longer give that gift? Yeah. Are you saying that the Holy Spirit no longer has the power to change hearts and minds? And Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. And he says that as the, as the, the trees are blown by the wind, people are moved by the spirit and yeah, they're brought to conviction by the spirit, he says. And so is there no longer a Holy spirit in the world working on people's hearts? What do they mean? Does God no longer have the power to save through the proclamation of the gospel message? What are you saying? What do you mean by that? And I don't think anybody to my satisfaction has ever even answered my question. Like I just hear people, even pastors, like denominational employees say, ah, you know, evangelism used to work, but it doesn't work anymore. What if it's not that evangelism doesn't work? What if it's that we no longer possess the conviction necessary to succeed in evangelism? Mm. What if that's really the answer? And what if the devil did exist 2000 years ago, like when the apostles were preaching? And what if he did like work against the church in the dark ages? And yet still you see growth, you see forward movement. So 50 years ago, hundred years ago, there was a devil and, and he opposed the work. And I don't think that it was any easier to win people a hundred years ago than it is today to the truth of the word of God. I don't believe that. And I've been listening to a podcast about Adventist history. And a couple of weeks ago, I listened to an episode where they were describing the social conditions for the and what it would have meant to preach Bible truth, present truth, Revelation 14 in that time. You get laughed out of town. Because the newspapers were making fun of you. Like Adventists, just before the formation of the organization of the Adventist church, dude, Adventists were like on, on the newspaper, like in the front, and the newspaper was like the social media of the time. You were like mocked and ridiculed by the media. People like when you walk down the street as an Adventist, people would laugh at you and point fingers at you and mock you. But yet they grew. Yeah. They, they, they got extraordinary growth. They made tons of converts. And I don't think it was because they lived in a world where everyone was religious back then. And it was easy to win people. No, dude, all the pastors were preaching against you. All the newspapers were making fun of you. They thought you were weird and strange and fanatical and crazy and insane and weird. And somehow the Adventist church grew at a pace that like outpaces us by a thousand times a year. Mm. So it can't be that external conditions are what's stopping us from growing. I just can't accept that. I just, I can't believe it. 
Yeah. I just cannot believe it. And I think we really just need to wake up as a people and just humble ourselves a bit and say, we're just not what we think. And I think maybe if, if we were less legalistically inclined, and I'm not saying we're legalistic because we want to keep the Sabbath holy and because we have fundamental truth that we think people need to know and understand. I think we have an illegalistic spirit so that we think we have to make excuses for ourselves because mm -hmm. we don't understand that, that it's okay that we're not measuring up. We can admit that. We can just okay. confess it. Like we can just admit what we are and God will still... And God will actually, I think, be happier with us. Yeah. Than Dude, I heard dumb excuses. Yeah, I, I think that's a really profound point. And on that, there's this, I can't remember where this quote is from. It was a quote in a book by another person. But he said, God does not require us to be successful. Or God does not ask us to be successful. God asks us to be faithful. Now, this doesn't mean that you're not trying to be successful. But along with your point, if I try and and am not successful by the metrics that we set up as standard, that's at the end of the day, not the measure of my faithfulness to God. Like, even if you think about Jesus's own ministry, like when you think about the people who had the most or least success evangelistically as a preacher, how successful was Jesus? Like, seriously, if you think about it by the metrics that you would look at for the day, he ends up with 120 converts after his death and resurrection, sitting there in a room, all terrified that they're going to die praying together in Acts chapter one and everybody else, all the multitudes of people, where are they? Like by the metrics that we would typically put on those things, Jesus doesn't look very successful and more people didn't believe in Jesus and follow him than did. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, totally makes sense. but that, but Jesus is the most successful evangelist ever <laughs> Yeah, because he's the only one who's actually changing hearts. Does that make a big sense? He, he's gaining measurable success while he's alive because he's getting huge gigantic crowds of people and they're like wanting to make him king and stuff so yes he's achieving worldly success but but he himself thwarts that because mm. like like he knows that worldly success will just get in his way because he's shooting for true success he's shooting for converting people so profoundly and so deeply that he can build his church upon yeah. their future efforts so he can't just go around getting superficial shallow success and so i would say in one way yeah he gets he gets measurable success tons of it he could have been the most successful multimedia minister in the history of the world. You just raise a few people from the dead, you'll get lots of verbal confessions that you're the Christ and just baptize them. And there you go. But he's looking for profoundly converted people who are truly in line and in harmony with heaven. So he thwarts it. But I know what your point is valid. He gets long-term success, right? He gets long-term success. But in but terms the, of in his day, how many people abandon him, turn their backs on him, even of his own disciples in John chapter eight? He yeah. teaches things. He says messages that aren't popular, and even his own disciples, many of his disciples walk away, and he asks the 12, are you also going to leave? Jesus didn't come into Jerusalem and convert every single person because the multitudes crucified him. Yeah, that's right, and, and it's true. When I look at his ministry, I see, this is what I see in, in the synoptics, is, is he's getting tons of measurable success. Like it says in John, at the end of John 3, going into John 4, that he made and he got more baptisms than John. He started to baptize more people than John. And Ellen White says that John was more influential and powerful than any of the priests and rulers in Israel. So his ministry, it reached a point where he, Jesus could have said, I am the military Christ and not allowed himself to be arrested. And he would have seized the power in it. So he was getting a ton of success on a superficial level. He just refused it. Yeah. Because he wanted real success. That's totally. right. Absolutely. But your point is not lost for me pointing that out. But I feel like if every church, like I know the numbers in our conference, we, I watch them and follow them. Um, the vast majority of our churches have not grown over the course of a decade. Like the net growth is not there over a decade. 
when you count attrition and apostasy and yeah, just, they're just not growing and, and many are shrinking. And, and so th- this is something that has to be addressed and it has to be considered. And, and then I think whenever we address it and consider it, our first resort is oh, we live in a really secular society and, oh, well, we're just using dated methods and la, 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 la. And rarely, if ever, do people say, man, we just need more faith. Mm. We need to be reconverted. Yeah. We're not really tapping into the power of God as we otherwise could be because with God, all things are possible. And the hearts of men and women today are they're human hearts, right? They're the same kind of hearts that God's converted in the past. And you wonder sometimes, I, I had this situation, Robbie, um, to be <laughs> mad at us or to see the logic in, what, in some of the things we're saying. And I think ultimately we're saying, let's just not make excuses. There's lots of reasons why someone may not succeed. But there is no excuse. I've heard a, I heard a teacher say this. There's many reasons, but no excuse to not be faithful to God. And I think that would be the same for evangelism because true faithfulness to God brings results in evangelism. So there's many reasons why we're not successful, but there's no excuse. Yeah. No excuse because success doesn't have to look like my local church grows by 15 times in the course of a five-year period. It could look like we won three people a year consistently and we kept two out of the three. Yeah. And in five years, we have a net growth of like 12 members. And we're loving our people and we're keeping them. You know what I'm saying? Like that's solid growth. Like that's success. But even on that modest measure, we're flopping. So my message to the church, and I think this is God's message, is confession is good for the soul. Mm. Honesty is the best policy. Mm. And God is gracious and kind and awesome and wonderful. And we can just admit the truth to ourselves that the real X fact is us. Mm. 100%. So I had the situation where I was um, interviewing for a job in Canada, and I was being asked by the Canadian Union to be the speaker director of It Is Written Canada. And yeah, who gave them the crazy idea that I should be their speaker director? You know, how different it is in Canada than it is in Australia for me. Just kidding. Just edit that out, whoever is editing this. Um, But the union president there is a big believer in my ministry. And he thought, yeah, let's ask Matt to be the speaker director. In my conversation with the board of, and these are great people, awesome conversation. I was really privileged to even consider. I never took it, obviously, because I'm still here. But something came to my mind when I was interviewing with the church, and I asked this to the board. I said, we might have to, as a church community, put ourselves in the firing line of the media in order to gain true success evangelistically. We may have to say things. We may have to communicate in ways that are highly offensive to some modern people, but that may be the price we have to pay to gain success are you as a team prepared for that? Because if you called me to this position and if I accepted it, they were already giving me the opportunity. But I said, if I accepted this opportunity to come, like I would be leaving Australia, man, to come to the tundra of Canada. I said, I'm going to take this very seriously and I'm going to try to really win people through this ministry. But whenever you really make, you know, gain inroads to Satan's kingdom, he gets mad. Mm. He gets mad, man. He's going to misrepresent you. He's going to place false narratives around you and who you are and how you function. And and I'm not perfect. I'm going to give him some reasons, some easy targets. I'm an easy target sometimes for the devil. But I said, look, I really believe the Adventist church is going to have to start communicating in a way that's going to get us some bad press. Are you guys willing to, to accept that? And we had that conversation, but I think that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Like the truth is hateful to those who love, who hate the truth, right? And those, Ellen White says, who submit to the spirit, they go to war with themselves and their human natures. Those who reject the spirit, they go to war with those who are advocating for the truth. And they crucified Jesus and they hated Jesus. And it wasn't because he wasn't loving. It wasn't because he didn't do things correctly, but they crucified him. And that's what happens. 
that's what happens. And so uh, we as a church community have to ask ourselves the question, is success worth what the devil's going to do to us when we get success? So that's a thought I have. And that's, that's something that I, I oftentimes consider and think about. Yeah, it's a great question, man. It's a great question. All right, bro. So what's the <laughs> parting words of wisdom? Oh, I don't know how much wisdom I really have. You have lots of it. Look, dude, I think the truth is you can have excuses or you can have results, but you can't have both. We have to let go of our pride and we have to truly seek to surrender ourselves and we have to praise God for the little victories because if we can't thank him for the little things and be faithful in the sacrifices that it takes to get little victories, we'll never be willing to do the same for big things. Yeah. Amen. Hey, one last thought too. For me. I, I can't, this is just, you made me think of this. Sometimes... We suppose as church members, we excuse our lack of success by blaming others. So the church is too conservative. The church is too liberal. The pastor isn't doing a good enough job. He doesn't preach good enough sermons or whatever. So we point the finger at other church members and say, they're the reason why our church isn't growing. But who's stopping me from bringing someone to church? That's exactly right. Who's stopping me from giving Bible studies? Who's stopping me? As, a, as an individual from being the witness that God has called me to be. I brought a, a contact to church one Sabbath, and there was a guest speaker at this church. It was the Gaston Seventh-day Adventist Church in Oregon. And I had been studying the Bible with this family for two months, three months. And it, it dude, it took an act of Congress to get them to church. Yeah. So I was begging them to, we finally got them to come to a potluck after church. And then finally they came to church. And dude, the wife of this couple was like, a, she was like a high rolling, beautiful woman. And the guy was just like, I got it going on. Handsome guy. They were just like presented people, very socially savvy. They'd been genuine Christ followers for a long time. They're just great people and very spiritually developed. So anyways, the preacher that Sabbath preached, he preached a sermon on, on Ellen White's counsel on bicycles. <laughs> yeah, literally. Literally, he preached for 45 minutes on how, and he took the position that it's intrinsically sinful to ride a bicycle. <laughs> now, they, they were from the Pentecostal background, good music. She's like a singer who could sing like an angel. Our song service was like very deadpan and dry. The music was bad. The organ playing was off time. The voice, it was like a bunch of banshees singing wild, crazy, out of tune song, terrible song leadership up the front. And I mean that, not terrible, like it was just not a good job. No yeah. heart, no passion, no sincerity. It was just dead, dead. Everything was dead. Everything was dead. People argued in Sabbath school class. It was awkward. And then now this guy's preaching for 45 minutes on bicycles. And I'm just literally sitting there, dude, just steaming. Just like, I couldn't believe it. I took him aside afterwards. I pulled him aside and I, I talked to him for 15 minutes about this. I gave him a talking to, man. I said, man, I gave him like Ellen White. He's like, but Ellen White, nah, I thought this is what God led me to. I was like, dude, let me show you this Ellen White quote. And she, she has a statement that Sabbath is a time for uplifting Christ and the gospel and the fundamental truth of scripture, not particular side issues and stuff. Anyways, man, after the sermon, I looked at this lady and I'm like, oh, what'd you think? And she's like, oh, it's good. Good sermon. Yeah, I appreciated this, the worship. Yeah, it's great. That was it. She, she was a Seventh-day Adventist two months later. <laughs> Bro. Yeah, there is a God, you know? Yeah, the there's a God. Like, yeah, and, and as an Adventist, she didn't become like that environment. She stayed, you know, passionate, strong, confident, socially willing. She enhanced the, the church. Yeah. Um, I could have made the excuse, like, I'm not going to invite her to church because someone might preach a ridiculous sermon about bicycles. That's like saying I'm not going to invite someone onto the ark because there's a bunch of elephant crap in the ark. Yeah, that's true. There's an ark of theological safety in God's 
committed that to the church and it's a message that people need to hear and need to understand and need to know. And, and the Bible says the spirit and the bride say come. But anyways, yeah, yeah, I thought that was a funny story. If I have complaints about evangelism, the number one question I have to ask myself is how much of it am I doing as a person? Because that's the most important thing for me as a person, for you as a person. The church doesn't move forward just on the backs of paid pastors, employees, blah, blah, blah. No, the movement of God moves forward as individuals hear the Holy Spirit call them to share the gospel with other people and hear and answer the call. And rather than pointing the finger at this not being right, that not being right, the question I have to ask myself is, am I willing, by the grace of God, to get on my knees and pray for real people and then go out there and try and share Jesus with real people and love them and do the sacrificial, self-sacrificial thing of getting involved in their messy, dirty lives, just what he did for me. And that's really the big question. If I want to complain about evangelism, that's fine. As long as I'm somebody who's got some skin in the game, then I have something to say. Totally. Hey, that's, that's a great point, man. And thank you for ending us off on that on note. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us this week for all things evangelism. We hope that we've provoked you uh, to some, not provoked, but we, we hope that we have provoked you to the point, or at least convinced you that we shouldn't be making excuses. We serve a God who changes hearts, who changes lives, who sent his spirit out into the world. And it doesn't take experts to win people. It doesn't take geniuses to, to grow the church. It just takes people who love God and truly surrender to his leading in their lives and who love other people, who, who commit to loving other people. And Jesus said before he left earth, when he comes back, will he find faith on the earth? And so he looked and said, man, I don't know if I'm going to see faith in the earth at the end of time. And whatever is born of God also overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so may God increase our faith and decrease our excuses. God bless you. And we'll see you next week.